Romans 12. Okay, here we go. Romans 12, 11 and 12. Uh, this morning is where we're going to be looking. Very practical passage. I'm going to read it and jump right in, okay? Because we're a little behind now. So Romans 10, 12, verses 11 and 12. We're going to pick up right where we left off last week in very practical applications from the Apostle Paul. And he says in verse 11, Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Father, help us uh, as we look at this passage. Uh, Please make it clear by the power of your spirit. Uh, Please enable us to embrace by faith your word. God, give us zeal in our service for you. In Jesus' name, amen. It's interesting that when the Apostle Paul opens up the book of Romans, so he's about to write what would later become, I know this is maybe an opinion, but I think it's widely held, the greatest letter ever written in the history of the world, okay, is probably the book of Romans. That, that's, I think that's very, very arguably true, okay? So as, as he starts to write the greatest letter ever written in the history of the world to the church at Rome, he starts off with these words, okay? So this is Romans 1.1. He says, Paul, that's himself, he's introducing himself, a servant of Christ Jesus, okay? So that, that's how he opens the letter to the book of Romans, is he says, okay, I'm Paul, let me tell you about myself, and I am a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm a servant of Jesus. Now, in, in, in our English language, most time that's translated servant. Um, in the Greek, it's actually the word doulos, a better translation, but it just doesn't mesh with our society very well because we don't have these. But a better translation would be slave, okay? Uh, literally, if you translate, if you look it up in the Greek dictionary, it is the word bond slave, okay? You're, you're a slave. Somebody owns you, okay? Now, now, as you can see, that's why it doesn't translate very well in our society because we, we don't have that, right? Uh, uh, we don't have that. Everywhere in, the, in, in Paul's world, they had that, all right? That was a reality of the world that he lives in. And so Paul uses that over and over again, and, and he does so, especially in Romans, to describe his own relationship to Jesus Christ. He, he's basically saying, hey, I'm Paul, and I'm owned by Jesus. Hey, I'm Paul, and I'm a slave of Jesus. Hey, I'm Paul, and I'm a servant of Christ Jesus, all right? Now, It's the same word as we move into Romans chapter 12 that he uses here in verse 11 when he says, don't be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Okay, so when he says serve the Lord, it's a form of doulos, all right? He's saying be a slave, be a servant, okay? Exercise your service unto the Lord, okay? And and it's true of all believers. If you're a born-again believer here in, in, in the room then what's true of you is you are a doulos of Jesus. You're a slave, a servant of Jesus. Now, again, I I know that doesn't strike kind of um, friendly to our ears because of our culture, but but here's the reality. Nobody in this room and nobody on this planet has ever truly been free, okay? I know know we live in a free country. Very thankful for that. Uh, Very thankful that we live in the country that we do, that we have the freedoms that we do. Um, Very thankful for that. But, But the reality is, is you can live in a country with freedoms, but that does not make you free. Okay, you remember this? Uh, this is like six months ago or so when we were in Romans chapter six. Let me let me refresh your memory to this passage. Romans six sixteen says this: Do you not know that if you if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, 
You are slaves of the one whom you obey. Either, okay, there's two choices here, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of the teaching which you have committed. And having been set free from sin, you become a slave to righteousness. So basically, Paul is saying, look, you're either a slave to sin or you're a slave to God. It's one or the other. Okay, but, but you're a slave to somebody. Okay? No, nobody's truly free. We were all born into this world a slave to sin, death, and hell. And what, what, what the Bible means by a slave is you can't get out of it on your own. Okay? If, if you can't get out of it on your own, then, then you're a slave, right? If you can't change your circumstance on your own, if you're in bondage, right? And we are. Like we're in bondage to sin. Nobody can just stop sinning. Right? There's nobody on the planet that's just like woke up one day and said, you know what, I'm just going to stop sinning. No more. You know, I'm never going to sin again. I'm just by my own will, by my own willpower. I'm just going to say no. I'm always going to have perfect thoughts. I'm always going to have perfect actions. I'm always going to have perfect me- motives. I'm never going to lose my temper. I'm never going to get angry when I shouldn't get angry. I'm always going to glorify God in the highest possible level, and I'm going to do that by my will. Nobody does that. You know why? Because nobody can do that. Why? Because you're a slave. All right, But what Paul is saying is, is you've been bought by the blood of Jesus. If you're a believer, then you have been redeemed. Have you heard that word before? It means to be bought back. It's, it's a word that was used in the slave trade to buy somebody out of slavery and, and, and to set them free. And so you've been bought out of sin and death and hell. You're, you're no longer a slave to those things. You're, you're no longer bound to those things. But rather, you are now bound to the Lord. First Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says, You are not your own. You're bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Now, the cool thing this morning is, is that it is a happy slavery. How many times do you get to hear that phrase, huh? It's a happy slavery. It is a a joyful slavery, right? That's the way the New Testament looks at it. So when Paul opens up in Romans 1 and says, hey, I'm Paul, a doulos, a bond slave of the Lord Jesus Christ, he's not saying it like this. Hi, I'm Paul. I'm a slave. You know, he's not saying it that way, all right? If you can hear his tone, he's, he's not. He, he's proud of it. Like, he's happy about it. He's joyful about it. Why? Because he has the best of all masters, okay? I mean, in Paul's mind, he realizes, you know what? I was a slave to sin, and that was a horrible master. It, it bound me into ruining my life in misery and hurting everybody around me. And it bound me into a life of judgment and guilt and a future of hell. But now I'm a slave of Jesus, all right? And he is the best of all masters. He loves me. He sent his son to die to save me. He gives me a new heart. He puts his spirit in me. Even though I'm a slave, he has made me alive and made me an heir with his own son, Jesus, so that I inherit everything Jesus inherits, so that I'm adopted into the family of God. He's working all things together for my good. He is the best of all masters. And not only is he the best, best of all masters, but his work is the best of all work, okay? That's another thing about slavery. A lot of times you're, you're doing the horrible stuff, right? Well, that's what we think of when we think of a slave, but not so in the scriptures, okay? God has work to do, okay? It's cool work. God's at work in the world. He's working today. He never takes a day off. He has a will. He has a plan. What, what's he doing? What is the work of God? Well, he's drawing men to himself. He's transforming hearts and minds. That's the work of God today. The work of God today is he's taking people out of slavery to sin, death, and hell, and he's placing them in righteousness and in forgiveness and in redemption. God is doing that today. That's the work of God today. He's making sinners into saints. He's redeeming and bringing about new birth in people. He is raising the spiritually dead. 
God is feeding the poor and clothing the naked and caring for the orphan and the widow. And he's visiting the sick and encouraging the faint-hearted and upholding the weak and bringing justice to the oppressed and welcoming the foreigner. I know on the news you are hearing all this about racism and injustice. And, and, le- and let me just tell you this, okay? I'm, I'm not going to comment on all that, but, but to say this one thing. The gospel is the answer to all of that, okay? I don't care what you hear on the news. Let me tell you, the answer to everything that is wrong in our country is the gospel. I mean, that's the work of God right there. I mean, he's the one who ends all that junk. He's the one who who ends injustices and and, and hatred and and snipers and and, and killings. And he's the one who ends all that through the gospel, all right? God is at work reversing the evils in the world and bringing about new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. God has a work. And if you're a believer, if you're one of the redeemed, then you're a servant of the Lord. You're working with him. If he's your Lord, then, then you'll serve him. I was reading the scriptures with some guys this week in one of my morning studies. This is so cool. Uh, it's Luke, Luke 1. Okay, so this is Mary, all right? So imagine, imagine a, a 14, 15-year-old girl, right? And, uh, you know, she's thinking about, I don't know what she would have been thinking about in that day and age, you know. I don't know who, who, who she's going to, I, I, I have no idea about their culture, you know. Today it'd be, you know, hey, what, what am I going to make the volleyball team or, you know, who gets to go to the dance or whatever. So this is Mary, and I actually think she was probably, you know, more virtuous than those things, probably. But anyway, um, an angel appears to her and says, Mary, guess what? You're going to be the mother of the Messiah. And, and I know you're not married, but that's not a problem for God because nothing's impossible for him. And I know you can't even get your head around this, but the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and, and he's going to put the Messiah, the King of the universe inside of you and he's going to save his people forever and ever. Okay? And here's Mary's response. Okay? Verse 38 in chapter 1. Mary said, Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. Isn't that cool? I'm, I'm your servant. All right. My life is about to be, every, every plan that I had for my life is just got scratched, okay? Um, you know, forever, everybody's going to think I'm an illegitimate woman. You know, I don't know what, how the guy that I'm engaged to is going to take this. But hey, I'm your servant. So let it be according to your word. And, and again, don't think that Mary's like, ah, okay, God, you know, not at all. Because she goes on in chapter 1 to start singing, okay? We have a song, we have a poem of Mary in Luke chapter 1. Let me show you how it begins. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. She's talking about herself. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. She's like, I don't know how this deal is going to work out, but I know God's a good master. And he gives good gifts. And I'm excited about this. So, we are servants of the Lord. So, back to Romans 12. So, Romans 12 says, don't be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. We are to serve the Lord. Now, how exactly do we do that? Well, let me tell you one of the chief ways. Uh, well, uh, let me back up. First of all, we do it in everything we do, okay? So, in everything you do, you ought to be serving the Lord. Now, how, how do you do that? Well, let me read you Colossians 3. Uh, Colossians 3, 23 and 24 says this, whatever you do, okay, so whatever you do, so uh, you sell parts, you, uh, you run a cash register, you, uh, uh, 
you're a physical therapist, you deliver people's mail, you, I don't know, you're you're a mom, you're a dad. So whatever you do, whatever that is you do, work heartily, okay, with all your heart, as for the Lord. So whatever you do, you do it for the Lord, okay? You do it unto him, you do it for him, you do it for his glory, you do it looking for opportunities to advance his work, okay? And not for men. This is verse 24, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. Okay? So, first of all, how do we serve him? You serve him in everything. All right? And so, as you do whatever you do, when you're doing it for him, Okay, so I'm washing dishes, and as I'm washing dishes, I'm doing it well. I'm doing it with all my heart. I'm doing it with zeal. I'm doing it with a good attitude. I'm doing it happy that I've got dishes and food and and that we just had a meal and I've got a family to wash the dishes for and that I can serve my wife in this way, and I'm doing it as unto him, and I'm doing it for Jesus, and I'm wanting to glorify him in the way that I serve, then I, I am serving the Lord in the dishwashing. And believe me, I get a lot of serving, okay? I get a lot of serving uh, in that sense. So whether you're mowing the lawn, whether you're doing your job, whatever you're doing. So in, in every way, you're serving the Lord. But not only that, but when we serve others, we are serving the Lord, okay? So remember where we've been in Romans 12. So uh, two weeks ago, we were looking at uh, like verses 6 and 7 and 8, where it talks about that the Holy Spirit has gifted every born-again believer uniquely and diversely to use them in the service of the kingdom, right? So that's why God gives us spiritual gifts. Uh, let me take you to First Peter. First Peter 4, 10 and 11, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another, okay? Use it to serve one another. So, so we, we, we serve God by serving one another, by building up the body of Christ, by, by, by being vessels that the Holy Spirit uses to accomplish, once again, the work of God, what God is doing in the world, okay? Now, all of this, again, is a happy, joyful service. It, 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 it's, it's greatness. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said, doing this is greatness in the kingdom of God. So a lot of times when we think of service, we think the world's way, right? Like, if I'm not being the boss, then... I'm not happy, right? If I've got to serve, then I'm unhappy with that, and I'm bitter about that, and the only reason I'm doing it is because I have to. Okay, that's, that's not the way at all that the Bible looks at being a servant. Let me read you Mark chapter 10, verse 42 through 45. And Jesus called them to him, and he said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. Okay, so Jesus is basically describing the world. Okay, here's how it works. The powerful, they... They, they exercise authority over everybody else. They boss everybody around, and that's what everyone strives to be, right? I want to strive to be the guy that doesn't have to do the work, but the guy that tells everybody else to do the work, okay? Verse 43, but it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you, I would like to be great. Would you like to be great? There's nothing wrong with wanting to be great, by the way. Like a lot of times people think that's inconsistent with Christianity. Not at all. Okay, you, you ought to want to be great. Jesus is telling you that here. You ought, you ought not get to heaven and say, hey, I was a real mediocre Christian. Didn't I do good, you know? No. Yeah, I mean, you ought, to, you ought to be great, okay? So he's telling you how, okay? You ready? Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. Now, where do we ever get a crazy idea like that? Next verse, ready? For even the Son of Man, Jesus, our King, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. What did Jesus do? He steps out of heaven, okay? He's the most powerful being in the universe. He created everything that, that there is by the word of his power. He sustains it all by his word. 
Okay? So Jesus made everything by his word, and he keeps everything going by his word, and he steps out of heaven into human flesh, and what does he do? He lives a life where he pours himself out into the life of others, and he's great. And so the Bible says, hey, be like, be like him. Be great. All right? So we're, we're, to, we're to serve Jesus by serving others and serving Christ in everything that we do. Now, we're to serve in a particular way, okay? So, so that's really the heart of what I want to talk to you about today is how we are to serve. So note, notice back in, in Romans 12. Go back to Romans 12. Uh, let's, let's read our passage again, verse 11. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Okay, so, so serve the Lord is bracketed by some things, okay? The first things that it's bracketed by at the beginning of verse 11 is don't be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit, okay? So we are to serve in a particular way. With zeal. Not all serving is the same. Have you noticed that? Do you eat at fast food? If you eat at fast food restaurants, you notice that. Not all serving is the same, right? Sometimes you're served with a smile and, and enthusiasm and exuberance and, and energy that makes you happy that you're about to get french fries. And other times you are served with the blank stare of death. Have you seen that, you know? You're, you're served... By the person that you can tell, you know, it grieves them to their very atomic level to be there standing in front of you. You know, when you walked in the door, they took a big sigh. You know, why are you alive? Why are you coming in here to bother me? Why must I take your order? Okay, you've noticed that, right? Not all serving is the same. Well, let me tell you, not all serving Jesus is the same. Okay, there's a big difference in the way that people serve Christ, in the way that they serve others, in the way that they take the lower position and pour their lives into other people, okay? And Paul is telling us here, you need to do this fervently, okay? Fervent in spirit. Zeo is the word fervent. It's the Greek word zeo. It means to boil, all right? I love that. You, you, you got some internal heat going on, some energy, some enthusiasm, some drive, some intensity. Paul is saying, man, be boiling on the inside for the things of God. Be boiling on the inside to serve the Lord. If you've been reading the book of Proverbs, you've already, okay, on, on July 6th, Okay, you read a great passage about the sluggard. Did, did you remember that? Okay, and you're going to, listen, he's going to hit you with it over and over again, scattered all throughout the book of Proverbs. So, so if your kids are lazy, then it's your own fault if you're not doing the wisdom challenge, all right? Because you're going to have an abundant of opportunity to talk about sluggardness and laziness and slothfulness because Proverbs hits it over and over again. And, and in Proverbs 6, he, he says very clearly, it leads to poverty, Right? And, and, and that's an obvious thing, something you could talk to your kids about. Look, if you don't take care of your business, if you don't take care of your responsibilities, if you don't take care of your fields, all right, in an agricultural economy, when you, don't, when you don't work the field, when you don't get the weeds out of it, when you don't get in there and plant it before the rains come, then you don't have a harvest. I mean, that's just the reality. Like, you, you're going to die of starvation because you didn't take care of your business. Now, in a spiritual realm, the same principle is true. If you are lazy in your spiritual life, if you don't take care of your own soul, if if you're lazy in the Word of God and lazy in prayer and lazy in the spiritual disciplines, if you're lazy with your opportunities, then you're going to find yourself in spiritual poverty. 
Coming up on July 20th, you're going to read Proverbs 20. And it likens the slugger to the man who doesn't plow in the fall. And so he misses his harvest in the summer. He, he, he neglects his opportunities today and he misses his benefits tomorrow. And so Paul says, don't be slothful. Don't be lazy in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Don't be apathetic. Don't be unmotivated. Don't be lackluster for the kingdom of God. You know, the, the Bible has given us a great principle here that it doesn't, it's not just doing what Jesus says. It's how you do it. It's how you do it. It's not just coming to worship. It's how you come to worship. It's not just singing. It's how you sing. It's not just sharing the gospel. It's how you share the gospel. It's not just working in team kids. It's how you work in team kids. This is this is pretty convicting, isn't it? And don't we know that's that's true? You know, again, in the book of Proverbs, you're, you're going to find, well, didn't we just read it in, wasn't that today, in 10? Didn't That's like smoke to the eyes and vinegar to the teeth. Is that, We just read that, didn't we? Yeah, that's in 10. That's in today. You know, in other words, it's irritating to people when you, when you lack zeal. How much more to Christ? You get that, right? Do you ever tell your kids to do like the simplest of jobs and they crawl up off the floor like, you know, they've broken their leg, you know? It's with such effort. And they sigh, you know, the huffing begins. And like midway through it, like you just want to like, just go do it yourself, you know? Because it's so irritating that it's that big a deal, you know? How many times is Jesus, like really, is that big a deal? It's that big a deal to, to do my work that I promise to give you power for and bring about a great harvest. So it matters, right? It matters. There's work to do. We wrestle and strive against spiritual forces in heavenly places. Eternity is at stake in our efforts. God is sovereign, yes. We've talked a lot about that in Romans. God is sovereign. He's in control. Yep, yep, yep. But that that should not result in our laziness. That should result in our boldness, our confidence, right? If the fact that God is sovereign, that God's the only one who brings about the new life and sustains spiritual life and causes you, if that causes you to lay on the couch, you've greatly misunderstood God's sovereignty. If I'm a soldier on the front lines, and I'm seeing my buddies get picked off by the enemy, and I know that there's a sovereign force who will be with me and empower me and ultimately rescue me, then that doesn't make me not want to charge. That makes me want to charge. So let's talk about zeal a little bit. First of all, just some characteristics. Enthusiasm, energy, and zeal indicate importance. Right? Isn't that true? When, when something is important, you normally have zeal to get it done, okay? Now, now zeal is not always like celebration, you know? Sometimes it's just like an urgency to go, go get that done, right? Like, I'm going to go get that done. Have, have you ever been like watching TV and like you, 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 get, you, you have a plumbing problem? Are we the ones that that happens to? Like at night, you know, like we're all just sitting down, it's like, does anybody else hear water flowing, you know? Has that ever happened? Like, anybody else hear a geyser, you know? And, and 
there's normally zeal, isn't there? Like, it's not like, I don't want to deal with that. We'll get it tomorrow, you know? Like, I'm getting up, you know? Or, I mean, it indicates importance. Like, when, when there's an urgency, like, we're all going to take care of that. Okay, that, that indicates importance. Normally, it indicates, most of the time, joy in it. That, that's another indicator. Uh, whenever we are zealous to do something, it indicates joy. It indicates hopeful for a good return. A couple days ago, we were reading in Proverbs, and uh, it was Proverbs 8, I believe. And Haven, the verse that she picked, the one that stuck out to her, that's my eight-year-old, she said, uh, I like that one with jewels in it, Dad. And uh, it's, it's Proverbs 8, 11. It says, For wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. That is huge. Better than jewels. Okay, so infinite riches. And all that you desire, whatever I might want, cannot compare with the benefits of wisdom. We, we kind of played that out in our little circle in the driveway. You know, and, and, and we, we played out this scenario. If we knew, you know, if we knew for certain that $100 million was buried three foot deep in a briefcase somewhere on our property. You talk about zeal to dig, right? <laughs> Have you ever seen the movie Holes? Like that, you know, I mean, that, wouldn't there? I mean, we'd be out there, you know. I'd be preaching right now. My kids would be digging, right? They'd, they'd come to the later service. I mean, there'd be some motivation. There'd be some urgency. There'd be some effort. There'd be sweat. Blisters. Okay, but Proverbs 8, 11 just told me that wisdom, there's nothing I could possibly desire that would bring a better benefit in my life. It's going to be, bring better joy, happiness, and satisfaction in my life than wisdom. And so let me just ask this question. Why don't we dig? So I don't mean to pick on you, but I might as well. Okay, so if, if, you haven't, if you haven't read Proverbs at all in the last 10 days, what does that mean? I know what it means for me. It means that at the moment anyway, I'm not believing that. Or otherwise, I dig. I dig in the Word. Man, if it's going to bring a better benefit than $100 million, I'd, I'd be digging so zeal indicates this confidence of good return. We're, we're going to talk more about that. Now, things that will squelch your zeal. Okay, let's talk about that. Sin. Sin will squelch your zeal. If you're in Man Up this last week, we looked at Psalm 32. Uh, we looked at David after he sins with Bathsheba and the condition of his own soul. He says in Psalm 32, he's describing what he went through. And he says, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Okay? And, and man, I, I, I told the guys at my table Wednesday night, I was like, man, I totally identify with that. Like when I'm in sin, when I, when I am crossways with somebody and, and there's not been repentance, when, when, when I'm in rebellion against the Lord, I literally don't have any 
strength to, for the things of God. Like, I'm, not, I'm just not interested, you know? I just don't want to. I don't want to. I, I don't have, like, there's no, like, it's not that my body, actually, sometimes it does feel like my body is tired. I mean, really, I don't know how all that works. But, like, I know, like, I'm not sick. I'm not, you know, I've not all of a sudden lost muscle tone. But I just don't have a desire. It's because I'm in sin. So, so when, when Nehemiah 8.10 says, the joy of the Lord is my strength, I mean, that makes sense to me that, that zeal is, is, is strength. And when, when, you, when, you, when you sin, when you stay in your sin, you lose your enthusiasm, your energy for the things of God. I think zeal can be lost by, sin, by people sinning against us if we handle that wrong. You know, opposition, being criticized, being persecuted, uh, all that. I think zeal is, is often squelched or lost simply through the daily grind, okay? Now, now here, here's where I think we're all going to hit it, all right? So listen up. Days, weeks, months, years, decades of persevering in the work and serving of Christ. And you know what happens at some point to everybody? We, we get this mindset. I need a rest from serving Christ. And we start saying things that are theologically disastrous. Okay, are you ready? Because you're, you're going to want to say these, so, so listen up. You ready? I put in my time. What, what is that saying? Let, let, me, let me unpack that. I put in my time. What that's saying is serving Jesus is like a prison sentence, okay? I mean, right? Well, putting in my time means, man, it's like a prison sentence. It's the most unpleasant thing in the entire world. And I finally finished up with, with serving my time. And I'm finally done with that horrific thing. So now I can move on to what I really want to do. That's terrible theology. Or, or sometimes we say things like, it's somebody else's turn. Okay, now I do agree that like, like, like before Andrew and Michelle came, um, like we were much smaller then. And so during Team Kid, I led the worship on my guitar, three chords, G, C, and D, all right, for everything, all right? Three chords, same strumming pattern. We sang our best, okay? When Michelle came and I found out she could play the piano really awesome and sing really, I was like, it's your turn, you know? I mean, so, but, but like, it, it wasn't it like I'm quitting. I mean, it's just, it's my turn to do something else, right? I mean, I'm still in Team Kids to this day. It's just, it's my turn to do something else. But you're better at this, right? So in that sense, yeah. But, but in the sense of like, like I serve my time, Listen, it's always my turn to serve Jesus. It's always my turn. It's always my turn to tell somebody about Jesus. It's always my turn to make disciples. It's always my turn to serve the poor. It's always my turn to glorify Jesus. For the rest of my life, until the last dying breath, it will be my turn. And that, that's a good thing. I think zeal is sometimes squelched by feeling that our, our labor deserves comfort. Okay, do you understand what I mean by that? Like, like when you go when you go outside and uh, like you do manual labor, okay? Like you you roof a house, okay? At some point there, you you feel and and rightly so. Okay, I I deserve to stop doing this and to go drink lemonade, right? And to sit in the shade and like I, like I've earned it. Like like what the time I put in has earned me this rest. Okay, now be careful applying that into the spiritual realm, 
okay? Because it's, it's dangerous for a couple of different reasons. First of all, you're never paying back Jesus. So you're never, right? You're never earning. Remember what we read in Romans 11? Man, who, 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 who's ever going to pay him back, right? Because from him and to him and through him are all things. And so, so that's not the way you should look at your Christian life. Our labor is a joy. Our toil is sharing in the life of Jesus. Our work is being a vessel of the Spirit of God. Serve the Lord with gladness, okay? So number one, it's broke that way. Number two, we, we're a bond slave, right? Can, can I read you a passage real quick? This is Jesus speaking, Luke 17, 7. Will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at table? So that's not the way a servant works. I may have not had one, but I'm pretty sure it's not the way it works. Verse 8, will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We've only done what was our duty. You see that? I mean, Jesus is kind of reminding us, yes, you're a son. Yes, you're an heir. Yeah, but don't get this thing mixed up, you know? Like I never have the right to say, well, God, I put in a long week this week, so I'm checking out. No, I, I don't ever check out of being bought by Jesus. So the real question is, how, how do we stay zealous over the long haul? How do we keep our fervor hot for the Lord? You know, I've been praying through and thinking through and talking through um, how to combat the midlife syndrome of the American church. Um, I think this has really hit me hard for a couple reasons. Uh, number one, I'm 44, so I'm kind of heading into that time. And so, like when 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 I was when I first came to Lincoln and I looked at the demographics of our church and I, I saw this kind of hole there in midlife, I just thought it was like coincidence. You know, I really thought nothing about. It. I mean, I knew it was there, but I, I just didn't think anything about it. But then for 20 years, like generations have moved on and come up, and the hole remains. And and. And one of the terrible implications is, is that the American church lacks mentors. Like, like the, just as people begin to be seasoned veterans in things and, and begin to be really useful as like mentors and disciple makers and coaches, then they drop out. And, and then they usually come back about 20 years later, but then there's a disconnect. And so, so that, that's really been on my mind. How do we create these mentor wise sages in the American church? So I've been thinking a lot about that. How do we keep our zeal hot for the Lord? And most of the time we, we think about losing zeal because we're tired or we're like we're continually caring for small children or we're raising our grandchildren or we're caring for our elderly parents. But you know the reality? As I look around, it's not usually those people that have lost their zeal. You know who's usually lost their zeal in the church? It's when none of those things are happening to you. Okay? It's when you're not doing any of those things. Here's, here's the great zeal killer in the American church. When, when responsibilities on your life decrease and at the same time income increases. That scenario there is the hardest scenario in the American church. That's where we see people bailing out by the hordes. So how do we combat that? Let's look at what Paul says real quick. And we're out of time. 
I did that wisdom challenge. That wasn't smart, was it? All right. So Romans 12, 12. Ready? Rejoice in hope. Okay, so verse 11. Don't be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. And now verse 12. Rejoice in hope. Okay, what, hope is what? Hope is a confident expectation of good things to come. Okay? And, and so we're to rejoice. We're to have joy in this confident expectation of good things to come. We're to look to the harvest. We're, we're to look for what's God going to do. Well, we know what God's going to do. He, he's going he's to win people to Jesus. He's going to draw people to the Father. He's going he's to buy them back by his blood. He's going to adopt them into his family. He's, he's going to make new creatures in Christ. And we have, we have the hope that God is going to do that. We have the confidence that, that God is going to use our service for his glory and for the good of his kingdom. And we have the, all these great verses like, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing, what can I know? That in the Lord, your, ne- your labor is never in vain. It's not in vain. In other words, God's gonna use it. Okay, we got verses like Matthew 6, that tell us, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things, everything your heart desires. Man, all these things. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will, will be given to you. We got, we got hope in great verses like Isaiah 58, 10. If you pour yourself out for the hungry, satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then your light shall rise in darkness. Your gloom shall be as noonday, and the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong, and you will be a watered garden like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. We, we, we've got this hope of, of Matthew 25, 23, that one day God will say, well done, good and faithful servant. And why would you want to do anything that would undermine that? We need to fuel our hope by reminding ourselves of the character of God and the promises of God. Next, be patient in tribulation. Okay? So what's real is that if you're in if you're serving the Lord, you are going to experience difficult times. Uh, persecution, fatigue, discouragement, opposition, people let you down. All those things will be true and they'll be true over and over again. And, and Paul simply says this, you've, you've got you've to endure. You've got to endure through that. You've got to know it's coming and you have to endure. And now I want to jump to the final thing real quick because I think this ties it all together. Verse 12, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. All right, there's how you heat up the zeal. I, I wonder if there's ever been anybody in the history of Christianity who has been fervent and devoted and white hot in their prayer that was not also zealous in their service. Stay with prayer. Why is prayer so important? Because you're tapping into the power source, okay? Now, one of the reasons we lose our zeal is, one of the reasons people say they burn out is what? I'm tired, I'm fatigued, I'm wore out, I'm shot, I'm overwhelmed, I'm underrested. Okay, but, but in the spiritual realm, where does the power come from? Where does it come from? Does it come from what, what my heart rate is and my lung capacity is that, is that where it comes from? So all we got to do is go up to the gym and those people are the most zealous for the Lord in town? No. Right? The, the power comes from God. Great verse. 
one of my favorites. Colossians 1, 28. Paul says, Jesus we proclaim, him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil. You know what toil is, right? Toil is like hard labor, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. You see what Paul's convinced of? It's his energy. First Peter, we've already used it. First Peter 4.10, as each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles God, whoever serves is the one who serves, listen, by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified. So, so the, the power comes from God. Now, now again, what's God gonna do? Is he actually going to give us physical stamina, okay? So that we don't get tired. So that we can go in and hang with the preschoolers for two and a half hours, that small group, and we get up and we're like, man, I'm fresh. Is that what he's saying? You know, by the strength that God supplies. Is he he saying that, you know, even though we're a little overweight and we haven't run since 1984, that God will give us the strength to run the 5K with the youth at Falls Creek and climb those hills and go to Journey Quest and climb a 14er with them, and we'll be able to do it? Possibly. Okay, now I want to leave the room for possibly because do you remember in the Old Testament when Elijah, like after he leaves Mount Carmel, like God, the angel comes and ministers to him and he runs like for 40 days? You remember that? So possibly, but doubtfully, okay? I mean, the reality is you probably just go to the finish line at the 5K and just, you know, cheer. That would probably be a better ministry for you, for us, for me, okay? So, so, but more often, God strengthens us through things like keeping us from discouragement and giving us a zeal for the mission, giving us excitement, giving us joy in prayer so that we don't get tired in the work. Does that, does that make sense? So, so here's the reality. You're going to get tired. Do you remember one of my favorite passages in the New Testament is when Jesus and the disciples go out on the boat and Jesus is so shocked that he goes to sleep in the front of the boat. And remember, a hurricane comes. Like, like these seasoned sailors are like, this is the worst storm we've ever seen in our lives. We are all going to die. And Jesus is snoozing away. In the, I mean, he's, he's, he's tired. Remember, remember Paul, 2 Corinthians 1.8? We were utterly burdened beyond our strength. Remember when David's mighty men. Isn't that a cool story? Remember the dude that he's fighting the enemies of God, the Philistines, and he, and he swings his sword for so long that when the battle is done, he's got to get help because he can't let go. You know, Arthur, like, like, like he, it's locked up, you know? I mean, he's that fatigued. He can't let go of his sword. And so sometimes the reality is you are going to be tired. You are going to be shot. You are going to be overwhelmed. But here's the deal. God enabled them to keep going. How did God strengthen them? How did, when Paul says in Colossians, you know, with the strength, with the energy that God supplies, what's he talking about? I think he's talking about the ability to be zealous. The ability to have enthusiasm for the work. Tired in it? Yes but enthusiastic and excited and burning hot to be able to serve Jesus. Yes. Let's serve with zeal. 
God, I pray that you'd help us. God, help us to, to be zealous, not to be slothful in, in our service, but to be fervent of spirit. God, I pray that you would just fuel our hope, fuel our, uh, our great expectation of what you will do through our efforts. God, I, I pray that you'd help us to be constant in prayer, to be, to be patient, to endure through the difficult seasons. God, there may be people here this morning that are in one of those seasons. God, give them endurance. Give them patience. God, help us to serve you joyfully today. In Christ's name, amen.